Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Yes? It's quite strange to see you all from here. I see the backs of your heads now. <laughs> well, today we come to the end of a, of a series called Who We Are. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed every minute of that series. The teachers and the preaching and the teaching has just been phenomenal. We're very blessed in this church with the... Uh, the depth of, uh, of teachers that we have. So we produce a little flyer for you. And uh, there's a, an address there where you can go on to the net and have a look and see, um, listen again to what they've said and, and let, it, uh, let God take it and put it into your heart and, and build you up. So today we're looking at feeding on God's word. And we're looking at the life of David. If I happen to mention Daniel instead of David, please correct me. <laughs> it's my age. <laughs> text, our text is taken from 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 11. And it's a detailed info of Goliath. You know, when, when life is rosy, things are going well, you can slide by. By just knowing a few scriptures and maybe quoting a few, you can slide by. But when you face the giants of life, you better know who you are. Because if you don't, the scandal will fall on you, the box will fall on you, box of offense. You've got to know who you are in Christ. And your most profound and intimate experiences of worship will likely be in your darkest hour. If you look at the Psalms, you'll see that when David was really up against it, he cried out to God, called on him. For me, it was nearly a year and a half ago. I was sitting in the Twelve Apostles Hotel in their lovely lounge. I'd just been informed that he had cancer and that they would remove a voice box and a larynx and I would never hear Dee's real voice again. That's a giant. For me that was most probably in this life the biggest giant that I faced and, um, and I wrestled with God at that time. And he gave me John 14, 27. It says, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth do I give it unto you. Listen to this. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. For my peace I give to you. Another lovely scripture. That was the one he gave me. Plus, we, we chatted through the, all these things, you know. And, um, and I just felt the grace of God come upon me and the love of God and, the, and that, uh, that presence of God flood my soul. And when I was in my car and I was driving away, I paused, I pulled in one of those little labor things. And I said, thank you, Father. 
that for the last 40 years I've been in your word. I've studied it. I've read it. I've lived in it. And out of the deposit, I could respond and receive grace and not blame you or get cross with you or all that. When we face problems, without God we're doomed. And Paul testifies to this benefit. In 2 Corinthians 1.9 he says, We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was a good thing. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. I like that. And this is where Saul's army, Saul and his army are. A giant came out and challenged them. And the scripture says they are terrified and hiding away. I took the time to look up that word terrified in the Hebrew. And it means poop scared. <laughs> 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 11. Goliath was six cubits and a span tall. That's nine feet, nine inches. A cubit is the length from your elbow to your middle finger. It's 18 inches. Goliath's armor weights 5,000 shekels, 126 pounds, 57 kgs. The head of his spear weighed 15 pounds or 6.5 kgs. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he came out on his side of the valley. You know the story, his side of the valley. And he said, send out one of your main men, and let's fight. And whoever wins, well, he'll take everything and you'll serve him. And there was no one coming out. No one. Not one. They were all poop scared. And really, when you think of it, you can't blame them. Nine foot, nine inches, and he was the same this way. And, uh, and then David, David is the youngest of seven brothers. His job is to look after the sheep. And um, it's interesting to note that David was anointed to be king before he came to face Goliath. In 1 Samuel 16, it says, Then Sam Samuel anointed, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mighty upon David from that day forward. But it was before even that that David faced the bear and the lion. And, um, and God tested him in the, in the wilderness place. Now, put yourself in a... I don't know if you've been to the game reserve, but have you seen a lion? I mean, it's just a majestic beast. It's massive. Its paws are like this, you know. It's, and he didn't use his sling on the lion. He fought him with his hands. And... Uh, and the bear. You can't do that in the natural. You can't kill a lion and a bear unless God is killing him on your behalf. And he came to this place, David, developed this living relationship with God. And, uh, and I looked up through all the commentaries to try and find out how old he was at this time. And most of them say he was around 15 and 16 when he when he came to visit his brothers, he was around about 15 or 16. And I always wondered why his brother was so mean to him. And I realized the reason, he was jealous. Because they brought all the brothers up there and they all said, no, 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 that's not you. It's not you. Where, where, have you got any more brothers? Oh, hang on, hang on, there's one sitting out there with the sheep. Bring that one. And they bring him and then they anoint him. And then he rocks up there, and then the oak says to him, you just come here to see the battle. And, you know, and he, he, he says yucky things to him because he was jealous. But God attested him. And Psalm 139 verse 23 says, Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me. Test me. Get a clear, clear picture of who I am 
in what I'm about. And uh, this is what God did with him. And, um, and he arrives at this scene with this giant. And he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? He says, Who is he? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? For 40 days and 40 nights, he stood his ground and he defied him. And David arrives and says, Who do you think you are? Have you met people who know it all? You ever met one of those? There's a know-it-all person. You, you, you know, you, you'll be talking and you'll know everything about that subject. I've been with those people and they just know everything. So I deliberately change the subject. And my word, he knows everything about that one too. <laughs> then I get onto politics and he can solve South Africa. We need to pray for our government. Amen. Cyril gave a great speech. And uh, I'm praying for him. But you get these loud-mouthed people. And this is, this is the giant. He's, he's loud-mouthed, taunting the armies of Israel. He's actually taunting God, but doesn't know it. But David does. And David is basically saying to him, You dost twit. Do you really understand what you're doing here? Do you have any clue about what's going to happen? You can't do this. Here's this chap that knows it all. How many of you remember the story of the wide-mouthed frog? <laughs> Put your hand up if you remember the story of the wide-mouthed frog. Oh, only three of you. Oh, maybe four. <laughs> He's a <this> frog. <laughs> He's hopping along. Comes to a hare, comes to a bunny, and he says, I'm a wide-mouthed frog. I eat bugs. What do you eat? And the hare says he eats grass. He hops on. Comes to an elephant. Says, oh, what, Malfa? I eat bugs. What do you eat? She says, well, I eat leaves and grass. And then she comes down the river and comes to a croc. He says, I'm wild mouth, rock. I eat bugs. What do you eat? And the croc says, wide mouth frogs. And he says, oh, you do, do you? <laughs> I can just hear Harriet say, oh, Harry, man. Why'd you tell that again? So David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David knew who he was and he knew whose he was. It's amazing that when you step out to do something, people always come along with advice. Come and try and give you the, the, what they think you should do. He knew exactly what he should do, but they got to tell you what he should do. And you know the story, they tried to put their armor on him all that, and he said, no, 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 no this is going to work. I've got to use what I've tested. And it's very important in our lives that we don't get manipulated or moved or, or conversed or whatever into doing something someone else's way. That we do it the way we know we're going to succeed in that way. If we do it that way, we're going to succeed. Don't try and do it in someone else's way. And um, they tried to help him out. And he couldn't even move in that. He was maybe 16 years old. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to name the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. Big mistake, giant. Listen to what David tells the giant. He said, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I will strike you down and remove your head from you. Run, giant, run. Now, have you thought about 
the giant's sword. David didn't take a sword with him. Can you imagine how big that giant's sword was? And yet David had to pick that sword up later and chop his head off with it. He goes on to say, And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all may know there's a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. I love it. We face giants quite often in life, and their hope is to make us terrified and fearful that we hide away. We have to know who we are. Now, I remember when I went, to, I went to Bible College in the States to cross the nations in Dallas, Texas. And I'm not sure what term it was, but the registrar called me in and said, um, you owe us money, lots of money. And uh, we've been speaking to you and the money hasn't been coming, so we're giving you this next week to pay it, otherwise we're making arrangements to send you home. I remember walking across campus crying, went and saw Didi and told her the good news about uh, what the registrar had said. She started crying, so we were both crying. And we got with God and we said, God, this, this is impossible. I was, I was loading trucks for Sears Roebuck. I was working, I was working, really working hard, but we just weren't making it financially. And uh, we thought of the embarrassment of going and then being sent home. And uh, we, we got with God and said, please, Father. And Johnny and Estelle McCabe were in the same boat. They also were called in, told they. So we were wallowing in each other's company. And we'd worked in the summer break for a man called Marshall Orchard. He had a farm in Arkansas. We went and worked there. Really, we went there for a summer holiday. We pulled a few weeds out, and he fed us and looked after us, and we went fishing and swimming and on his boat and skiing. We really worked hard in that time, that summer holiday. <laughs> anyway, sometime in that next week, I heard, I remember it clearly, because I still wore clogs, and I heard these clogs come smashing down the, down the, um, the top story area, which came into our, into our room, burst into our room, and said, here's a check from Marshall Orchard, made out to Christ for the Nations and says, for school bills, for Mark and Dee, and Estelle, and Johnny, to the exact amount. Exact amount. It was just a miracle. It really was. And that's what God does. When we approach Him, and ask for help, when we're facing a giant, He comes through for us. David's, um, the habits of David's youth never left him. They were simple. When he was afraid, he trusted in God. When he was at the end of himself, he turned to God, ran into God. When he felt alone, he confessed that he could not escape the presence of God or the Spirit of God. And God chased after him. And God will do the same for you. He was a lifelong seeker of God. And he writes this in Psalm 19. She says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rich, wasting the heart. The commandments of the law are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clear, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, much fine gold, sweeter than honey, even the honey dripping from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is rewarded, and in keeping them there is great reward. I love it. He's a word feeder. Amen? He's a man that runs off to God's heart. And to be able to fight, you have to know who you are. Amen? In Revelations, verse 8 and 10, it says, Since you have kept my, word, my words about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. Every problem is a character-building experience or opportunity. The more difficult it is, the greater the potential 
for building spiritual muscle and moral fiber. David killed the bear and the lion. David was tried and tested. It built moral fiber. It built character. It built strength. And it built belief in God. And it built trust. He was in a relationship with God that transformed his life. From a shepherd boy to a warrior and from a warrior to a king. So to be able to fight, you have to believe. Come out the starting blocks. Amen? Because truth transforms you. If, you. if you're a feeder on God's word, you will be transformed. And you know, I had most probably had the most wonderful marriage a man could ever have. And every day for 40 years, Dee read me a proverb. From day dot. I can't remember a day where she didn't read me a proverb. Then she would go into great detail about what the proverb meant. Then she'd take great delight in telling me how I must live it. <laughs> she'd explain to me how I must apply it. And explain to me how I wasn't applying it. <laughs> and then I need to get my act together and do this. It was reading the living word of God into a loving, intimate relationship. It bonded our love for each other. It gave us wisdom to be the best together. It filled us with wisdom and compassion for others. It set an example for our children to follow. And it demonstrated into our community hope for the hopeless. And this was one of her favorites. I miss her time. Okay, Harry. Psalm 3. My son, do not forget my teachings. Let your heart keep my commandments for length of day and year of life and peace will be added to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So you will find them. So you will have favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. What a gift kindness is to us. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lead to your understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Spiritual growth is the process of replacing lies with truth. Jesus prayed, sanctify them with the truth. Your word is the truth. Sanctification requires a revelation and the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us into the sons of God. You become a son through, through the revelation of the Word. In 2 Timothy 3.17 it says, Through your Word you put us together and shaped us up for the task that's at hand. The Apostle James points out in James 1 verse 8, God decided to give you life through the Word of Truth so that you might be the most important thing that he made. God's word is unlike any other word. It's alive. It's alive. In John 3, 63, it says, The spirit, it's a spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The word that I have spoken to your spirit and life. The Bible is far more than a doctrinal handbook. The word of God generates life. It creates faith, produces change. Frightens the devil, it causes miracles, heals hurts, builds character, transforms circumstances, imparts joy, defeats temptation, infuses hope, releases purpose, changes the mind, and guarantees us a future and a hope. Oh, slamadora. Amen? Job 23.12 says, I've treasured your word. I've treasured the words of your mouth more than daily bread. Amen? So then the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 5, he says, for this reason, make every effort to add. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge. My dad gave me great advice when I was young. He said to me, he said, 
my boy, every day, add something to your life. Every day, add. Ask yourself the question, what have I added today? When I look back at last week, what did I add? What was added to my life? Do I add to my life? Am I mindful to add to my life? Or do I subtract? Or do I just live life? It's so easy for us just to live life and not be mindful to, to add. If you're not mindful to add, you won't add. Amen? You'll just go through life, is there a tissue somewhere? You'll just go through life and, um, you know, just, just go through it. Don't worry about it. I'm going to blow my nose. Close your ears. Add means to join something to something else, so there's increase in size and number and amount. My dad was the most disciplined man I know. He read the word every day and he dialogued every day. And he wrote down events every day of what happened in our lives every day. When I had my 70th birthday recently, my brother-in-law, I know my brother-in-law, but we don't know each other that well, he, to, he, was, he had to give a speech and he went back to 1968 and went back in those years. Got my dad's diary out and looked at the 31st of March to see what my dad had written. And there was my 30 career, all there, in there. So now I'm semi-retired. It's not as great as they say it is, let me tell you that. <laughs> you've got to... You've got to reinvent yourself in your later years. And um, so I started making fly fishing, fishing flies, you know, little fishing flies. And that developed into me thinking, maybe I can paint an eye on the fly, you know. And then I dropped paint here, and then it went into puddles. And so I thought, well, I'll try and paint. And I was quite surprised at my painting skills. I've made quite a few Harry masterpieces already. <laughs> and uh, so then I thought, well, what I'll do is I've got a friend in Hout Bay who's a painter, he's an exceptional painter. I took my art along to him, asked for a crit. He was very kind. He gave me a great crit and <laughs> told me what to do and said this, that, and the rest of it. And if I paint this on, it'll look like oil paint and all that. And then I was like floating, you know, and I went off to the Red Cafe in... in uh, in Redham, and for March to here with my art, and said to the lady, what do you think? And she looked at it and said, ah, it's rubbish. <laughs> I said, thank you. I said, listen, I haven't brought it in here to put it on your wall. I just need a crit. She said, I've just given you one, and it's rubbish. <laughs> Didn't put me off. Went home and got straight back into it. Amen? <laughs> Paul says, make every effort. Do you know that there are more Bibles in print today than there have ever been in the history of the world? But a Bible on the bookshelf is worthless. Millions of believers are plagued with spiritual anorexia, starving to death from spiritual malnutrition. And Matthew 4, verse 15, says this. says, the, the farmer sows the word. And some people are like seed amongst the path, where the word was sown. As soon as they heard it, Satan came and takes it away, takes the word away from them. Others are like seed sown on the rocky place. They hear it, at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root in themselves, they last only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fade away. And the next one's where the church is. Still others, like seed sown amongst the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things comes and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. Then we must put the last one in. 
Others are like seed sown in a good soil. Hear it and accept it and produce a crop of 30, 60 and even a hundredfold of the seed that was sown. The New Living Translation says this. But all too quickly, the word of God is choked out by the worries of life. The lure of wealth or the, the striving after wealth and the desire for other things so no fruit is produced. No spiritual fruit is produced. If this is you, then you put yourself in amongst Saul's army when the devil, when the devil brings a giant your way. Because faith's produced by hearing the word. To hear the word, you've got to have faith. Eh? To be healthy, disciples of Jesus, feeding on the word, you must make it your first priority. Jesus calls it abiding. He says in John 8 verse 31, he says, if you abide in my word, then you're truly a disciple of mine. And in today's living, abiding in the word, there in, it includes three activities. The first is, I must accept its authority. And John did a great job on the authority. Amen? The Bible must be the absolute standard for your life. The authoritative, how do you say that word? For your life. The compass that I rely on for direction. The counsel I listen to for making wise decisions. The benchmark I use for everything. The Bible must always have first place. The word must have first place in your life. Amen? And the best example is the centurion servant. And John related to it. You know the story. Came to Jesus asking for healing for his servant. He said, my servant, paralyzed at home, suffering greatly. Jesus said, don't worry, I'll come and heal him. And he said, no, no, no. I'm not worthy to even have you come into my house. But just say the word. <laughs> Just say the word. This, this just proves that the word's alive. It proves the word's alive. Yeah, right here. We didn't even go to the man's house. When he went back, he found his servant healed. He says, I'm, I understand authority, he says. I'm a main man. I've got people underneath me. When I say to this one, jump, he jumps. When I say to that one, go, he goes. When I tell my servant to do something, he just does it. I understand it. So just say the word, Lord. My servant will be healed. And that's authority. That's understanding authority. Amen? I must accept its authority. I must accept the word's authority. And you must realize that this word, when spoken, brings life. And you must realize, too, that when you speak this word, it brings life. Jesus says, the things I do, greater things will you do. It's not you, it's the word that brings life. But the spoken word brings life. Okay, Harry. Calm down, boy. But many of our troubles occur because we base our choices on unreliable authorities, like culture. Not everyone's doing it. Tradition. We always did it like that. Okay? It's like the lady that got the roast and cut the two ends off. We heard that story. And I said, why do you... She said, no, mom always used to cut the two ends off. She said, yeah, but mom couldn't put it in the pot. The pot was too small. <laughs> Tradition. It's always done it like that. Reason. It seems logical. Emotion. just feels right. Ooh, emotions. You've got to guard your emotions. Amen? When the giant comes, boy, watch the emotion. He'll try and trap you with the emotion. All four of these are flawed by the fall. We need the perfect standard that will lead us in, in the right direction. And only God's word can do that. Solomon reminds us in Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God is flawless. Paul explains in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. 
The second thing I must do to be transformed by the truth is I must assimilate its truth. Assimilate means to take into your mind and thoroughly understand to absorb into your system. Absorb means to take something in, especially gradually, every day. And I love what Paul says. This was one of our DNI's favorite scriptures, Philippians 3.10, Amplified Bible. For my, de- my determined purpose is that I might know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that in some way come to know the power overflowing from his resurrection. Amen? Hallelujah. Matthew 4, verse 4, but he answered, it is written, the man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. There are five ways to assimilate truth. Let me give them to you quickly. You hear it or you receive it. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. You hear the word. You read it and you read it and you read it again. James 1 verse 21, the Amplified Bible says, In a humble, gentle, and modest spirit, receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your heart contains the power to save your soul. You research it or you study it. Ezra 7, for Ezra had set her heart to study the law of the Lord and the precepts and present it and teach it and the ordinance to Israel. The difference between reading a Bible and studying the Bible is that Two additional activities. You ask questions of the text. When you get the text, ask questions. When you get a scripture, ask questions about the scripture. Amen. Dig it into it. And then write down your insight. You really haven't studied the word unless you've written down your thoughts on paper or on your computer. Dear, had copious notes. Amen. Number four, you've got to remember it. Psalm 119 says the word, I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your capacity to remember is a God-given gift. Did you know that? You remember lots of things. I know people say, I I just can't remember scripture. No, you can. You just choose not to make it a priority to remember it. You can remember it. You remember your telephone number. You remember people's names. Well, some, some, some people's names. In, it's quite nice in church. You just call them brother and sister. <laughs> hello, brother. <laughs> hello, sister. Nice to see you. There's enormous benefits in memorizing scripture verses. It'll help you resist temptation. Amen? Drive past the bar. You know you can't go in. You just know you can't. And a little word from the Lord comes up, confirms that for you, and you resist temptation. You make wise decisions, reduces stress, builds confidence, offers good advice, and enables you to share your faith. Colossians 3.16, remember what Christ taught, and let this word enrich your lives and make you wise. The fifth one is reflect on it or meditate on it. Psalm 1 verse 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat of scoffers, nor sit in the, in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord. And in the Lord he meditates day and night. And God will deposit into your heart. Amen? It's actually, you're changing stomachs when you meditate. Did you know that? You know the cow brings up the cud? It's got more than one tummy. and brings up and chews it again. When you meditate, you bring it up again. And you chew it and you put it in your spiritual tummy. Out of the belly shall flow rivers of living water, it says. Over here is where scripture is contained. You deposit, you deposit spiritually into your spiritual inner man. And once it's there, it's there for life. And then when you are in a position where you need it, God recalls it. Remember he says, don't worry about how you will answer Because I'll give you the answer. Where's the answer coming from? From your spiritual man. From the deposit that you put into your heart. Because you meditated on the word of God. Amen. He says, then you'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. 
Amen. So now, receiving, reading, researching, remembering, and reflecting on the Word of God are all useless if you fail to put them into practice. The Word of God will transform you, but you must abide in the Word. You must accept it as thought. You must assimilate its truths, and you must apply its principles. Amen? In Matthew 7, in verse 24, it says, Everyone who hears these words of mine must put them into practice. Like a wise man who built a house upon the rock. Jesus is pointing out that the blessings come to us when we take the truth and make it alive and do it. Amen? He says, now that you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. The question is, how far will you go to get to the Word? That's the question. How far will you go to get to the Word? And um, we see this in, in Mark 2 and verse 5. It says, the people heard that Jesus had come home. So they gathered um, that there was no more room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing a paralytic carried by four men, or carried by four of them. Since they could, got, since they could not get into him because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through, they lowered the paralyzed man down to Jesus. Amen. So he has five men who will do anything to get to the word. Anything. There's a lovely scripture that I built my life on. It's Matthew 18, 19. It says that if any two of you agree on earth about anything you may ask, it will be done to you, my, my Father who is in heaven. Nose is running again. There's so much power. This is my illustration, so just don't worry about that right now. Listen to Harry. Okay? Listen to Harry. Good boys. Okay, hold there. There's so much power in agreement. The, the scripture, I based my life, my, my married life, my, my kids' life, my financial life, and the church life on that scripture. Agreement means a formal decision about a future action which is made by two or more than one person. So the four men agreed on an action. They agreed, these four men agreed on an action. We're going to get this man to Jesus regardless. They agreed. They all believed. They all believed. There was no doubt in their hearts. All five believed. So then they put their action into, into practice and they lowered him through the roof. Amen? Is that correct? So I thought I'd demonstrate this to you with the four men. So here are the four men. There's one there. Another one there. There's, where's the other one? He's over there and there's another one over there. And that basket is the poor oak that's paralyzed. <laughs> and, um, and they've got to get him over here. Um, over here. Because this is where Jesus is. Okay? So now... They don't want to drop the poor man, so they've, they've all got to work together. So go ahead, boys, and manipulate, manipulate him across here. And don't, please don't drop him. So they come, here they come. They, they, they're doing their best to bring him here. Doing their best, here he comes. Yeah, now he's they're getting him here. Amen. Here he comes. Oh, well done, boys, well done. Keep it, keep it coming. So there's a few things that happen here. One, they all believe. Amen? Everyone believed. Okay, here he is. We got him. Praise the Lord. Okay? I need you to... Um, I also want to do another one with this basket if I can get another volunteer. Um, I'd like to have a volunteer of a husband and a wife who would like to volunteer for that. One husband and one wife. I want the husband on the stage and I want the wife in the far corner there somewhere. Amen? You need to be a strong wife. A strong wife to be able to do this illustration. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 come. Okay, you, you go to where, where David is and then you need to come across Peter to that corner because then you are diagonally opposite each other over there. Okay? 
And then the rest of you drop your, drop your lines. It doesn't matter if they land on the people's heads. They won't mind. Okay, you got it? Okay, pull yours, release yours, and let it go back towards your wife. And you, wifey, pull that over there. And uh, try and get it back there without it taking out somebody on the way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Here's the truth. Listen, church. As a husband and wife, you both have to believe that the words are absolute truth. Number one. Number two, that brings you into a place of agreement. You have agreed. Dee and I went through everything we could possibly go through and came into agreement. We agreed on everything. We agreed on our children. We agreed on discipline. We agreed on finances. We agreed on everything. Where we, where we couldn't agree, we agreed that we did not agree. I mean, but there was agreement. This brought us into unity. Then, when you, when you are in this place of trying to get the desired result in your agreement and in your unity, there has to be someone that leads. There has to be a leader in the agreement. I remember going to ballroom dancing classes. We went to ballroom dancing classes. And the man's supposed to lead. But I wasn't getting it right, so Dee would lead. So I'd say, you're not supposed to lead. Say, For once in your life, let me lead. And then we would fight. So now we're fighting, and then the, the lady that's teaching us would then come along, and it was terrible because then she would take me because she thought, dumb Harry doesn't know how to do it. And then she would, I have to dance with her now. So now I'm dancing with this other lady that I don't even know, and I hate having other people touch me. And now I'm this woman there, and I'm, you know, one, two, one, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. And I, she'd say, you've got it. I'd say, thank you. And I'd go back to D. And then she'd lead again. I'd say, woman! Let me lead. So it's very important that... Now this applies to everything in life. This applies to... There's a, a specific thing that you want the children to do. Specific. You believe it's scriptural they should do this. You've come into agreement that they should do this. You've come into unity that they should do this. But someone has to lead it. Amen? Otherwise you're going to fight. Or you're never going to get to the desired result because one will be pulling this way, one will be pulling that way. So, so you've got to try and get the basket here. Okay, it's quite easy because uh, Pete's going to just pull it over there and uh, Eve's going to release her piece on the other side. I think it's a great illustration, don't you think so? <laughs> you won't forget it, eh? And then you need to remember this in your married lives, and especially those of you that have got small children or teenagers. When things are not going right, you need to re-look re at your agreement. You need to re-look at who's leading. Who's leading here? Oh, we, we've been, we've, we're in agreement on who's leading. So let me lead and support me in the leading. Amen. <laughs> we're nearly there. We're nearly there. I've got two more illustrations and then we'll pray. Amen. Well done. Give my hand. Okay. How does this apply to us as a church? Well, the elders. God sets up elders in the local church. Amen? And he brings people into eldership. The Bible says that they've proved themselves. They've proved themselves. People recognize that they've proved themselves. They're good husbands. They, 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 they love the word and all of that. So... All the elders here are in agreement. Amen? They all agree. They all believe that the word is the absolute truth. Then they have that, they want to go in a direction, so they're all in agreement, produces unity. They're all pulling in the same direction. They all want the desired result, and they all know who's giving the instruction, who's leading. Amen? John only lead. Eldership's a team. They're all working together for a desired result. Amen. You got that? Then we come to the congregation. Hey? You need, if you remember in this church, you need to be in agreement with what we believe. Amen? Who we are. 
What is our basic belief? You've got to agree with our basic belief. You've got to agree that the word's absolute. I mean, if you don't, we're going to be like this. Amen? You've got to come into an agreement with the elders. You've got to pull in the same direction that the elders are pulling. Amen? You've got to know who's giving the instructions. So we all know who's giving the instructions. John and Lee are giving the instructions. We all know who the elders are. And we all know that they're leading us in a certain direction. But we need you as the church to grab your line with us and pull in the same direction. Amen? You can't have another agenda or another belief or another direction. You can't have it. Because it'll cause confusion and strife and all sorts of rubbish. Amen? The desired result is we get paralytic to Jesus. The desired result is life saved. Amen? And it says, and it's, it's so important that you get this because everything in life is done in team. Everything. There's a marriage team. There's the kids team. Kids team and the marriage team. Amen? There's the work team. There's the sports team. There's the church team. Everything's done in team. And in those teams, there's always an appointed leader. You join a team, you find out who the appointed leader is, you find out what the vision is, you find out the direction they're going in, you grab your line, and you pull together with them. Amen? All birthed into the Word. The Word of God's in your heart, and you're going in this direction with everybody else. And it says, when the brethren dwell together in unity, there God commands a blessing. Life forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Well, there you go. (laughs) 